Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you for coming. We're delighted that you're here. We bring greetings to First Church Canada. Going to get across that river soon. Precious people that call this place home. Not able to be here. To Sean and Laren, not the girls. On and on I can go. All of you people walking, watching online. Delighted to be together with you here one more time. This is a great day. This is a very special day to me. We're going to dedicate children at the end of this service. And uh, with that in mind, I'm going to read you one verse of Scripture. It's in Psalms chapter 90 and verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. So... I'm supposed to have a title for what I do. I just want to talk to you about something called a good story. A good story. And if you have a good attitude, you can sit down. I guess I'm the only one standing, so that tells you who's got the bad attitude here. <laughs> when you really think of it, our life is... Uh, is uh, like a letter, like a book we're writing to anyone who cares to uh, see it and read it. Paul in Corinthians said that, that you are our epistle or you are our letter. He was writing, he's talking to these people in Corinth. He said, you are the letter that's written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And, uh, and so, just like a book has chapters, our lives have chapters or seasons in it. Uh, I, was a, I was raised in West Virginia. I was a hillbilly kid. And um, I, uh, my life began exploring and wading in the same creeks that I used to skate on in the winter. I see these kids go to these professional hockey rinks. And we didn't have that. We, we, we had the, the creek, or if you're West Virginia, it's crick, crick, crick. Uh, that's not something in your neck. That's where you fish in the crick. And we would skate for miles, for just miles. And it was, you never knew what you were gonna see when you came around the corner and the turn and uh, climbing and exploring the same hills in the summer that I would hunt on in the fall. Then, then school and finding God when I was young. Solomon one time said in Ecclesiastes, remembering your creator in your youth. I, I know you can't teach an old dog new tricks, um, but it gets harder to teach an old dog new tricks. It's better if you can find God when you're young. And uh, uh, I remember dedicating my life to a, 
an ambition and a pursuit and and all of that changed because of the uh, my, my father asked me to take one year of my life and and go to basically a seminary and um, and uh, I, I never did want to be a preacher I never wanted to be a pastor I, I wanted to do something else and uh, but my, my life changed and um, that was a different chapter in my life and then my sweetheart that uh, I met Renee when she was 11 and uh, uh, I my, my, my love affair with her and, and our, our travels and our family and this amazing church that has given so many memories to me. It's, it's all illustrated. In other words, if I asked you, where were you seven years ago, three months, two weeks, 14 days, and seven hours ago, you would go, but we don't think in terms of time. We think in terms of pictures, memories that are in our mind. And uh, if, do you remember the house that you were raised in? Do you, if you're a boy, do you, do you remember your, I, I don't know what they, when I was a kid, you built tree houses. I, I don't know what, I guess boys play video games now, but. If to some of you, do you remember your first tree house, or do you remember your first doll house? And uh, I still see the faces of my childhood friends, Jimmy Best and Eddie Brady, and his technical name was Alan. We just called him Tubo, Tubo Riggle. <laughs> my first grade teacher, Alta Casarda, with her ever-present ring of string of pearls around her neck and impossibly red lips. I, I've never seen red lips like that. She smeared that, that lipstick on, man. And uh, I, I, I still remember the rusty fenders of my first car, uh, a 1964 Plymouth Valiant, which was anything but a babe magnet. It was, it was a terrible car. It had terminal cancer. It had hardening of the arteries. It, it had eczema. Uh, it just, uh, it, was, it was bad. Uh, if you know what Bondo is, uh, then you understand what my car looked like. Uh, it, it was, it, it, I remember poking a hole in the muffler so at least it would roar just a little bit. And uh, it, it didn't even have a stick. It had three buttons, you know park reverse drive that was it was embarrassing but it's all I had and I remember my first boss Alphonse de Constantino in a little grocery store that I worked in I remember Renee coming into the room with her wedding dress I remember being there when the girls were born just vivid memories I was raised in a church every spring the Ohio River would flood and that old yellow mud would be in that church and my dad wasn't the pastor but he would always squeegee it out and then try without success to paint that smell away 
And in the summer when it'd get hot and those walls would begin to perspire, that old sickly sweet smell of that mud would come into that little church. And I guess it's why I've always been paranoid about this church being clean. I hated going to churches where the bathroom smelled like a Greyhound bus station. I just hated it. And uh, do you remember the night or the day, whatever, when you went to the altar and found God? You, you remember the night he filled you with his spirit? I remember that. I, I, I remember not sleeping that night. My mom getting me up for school the next day. I hadn't slept the old night, but I didn't care. And as soon as I came back home, I, my, my, my dad had three by five cards in his Bible and I took his Bible and went page by page and took those cards out and got empty cards and wrote on my cards what were on I, I didn't know what it meant I just knew that anybody that was spiritual had a fat Bible and when they dropped it it was like shrapnel out of a grenade there was stuff that came out of it and my so I went to my grandma's Bible and I took an old flattened flower from a funeral of somebody that I didn't know. And there was a lady, I never knew who Heloise was, but the newspapers had hints from Heloise. And my grandma would cut hints from Heloise out and put them in her Bible. So I stole some of her Heloise stuff. And I had, so every now and then I would drop my Bible on purpose and poof, it'd be stuff. And it was like Harold's spiritual because he's got a fat Bible. And he's got stuff in it, you know. And, and <laughs> I, 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 they're just vivid memories. I, I, I spent a lot of time in Australia in the years gone by. And I have a great friend over there. Her name is Gina Gretsch. She'll watch this tomorrow. So I love you, Gina. <laughs> and I remember the first time. I heard Gina say, we were talking about someone, and she said, they lost the plot. And I started laughing. I said, what does that mean? She said, you know, every movie has a plot. He lost the plot. That's what she said. And uh, it was a unique, Australia's got its own, as I'm sure we do, its own little things. And uh, Jesus, you know, look at David when he went to be with his brothers right before he fought Goliath and he heard the challenge of Goliath and he said is there not a cause when Jesus was in front of Pilate he said for this end was I born and for this cause I came into the world Paul in 17th chapter of Acts went to a place called Mars Hill, which is still there. Areopagus, they used to call it. All these supposedly smart guys were there who didn't know God, so they weren't nearly as smart as they thought they were. But there's a great scripture in Acts 17 and 28 where he says, in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. And, you know, the big philosophical question, who am I and why am I here? That's answered in the Bible because in Revelation it says, all things were created by him and for him and for his pleasure. 
they are and they were created. So if we're bringing God pleasure in our life, there's a fulfillment there that doesn't... I, 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 do you know anybody that this people would call wealthy? You know, they, they, they got all the stuff. And, and I've met a few wealthy people through the years. I've, uh, I've only met three very wealthy people who served God with integrity. I, uh, I've only known three. And because uh, sometimes with that money, I, I want to know... I, you know, you got all these mercenary prophets on television who says money is the obvious sign of the blessing of God. Um, you know, you go with me to Bangladesh and try to preach that. It, it won't work. Uh, the, 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 the gospel should be universal. You ought to be able to preach it anywhere. But if you preach a prosperity gospel, you're, most of the world's off limits. Because if you make more than $5,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's population. So we're billionaires by the world's estimation. And you've got all these guys saying, you know, it's, you know, every political party has a platform. And a platform has planks in it. And political parties have platforms. But if I had to melt a lot of preaching down that I've heard through the years, it goes like this. There's a blessing coming your way. Give me your money. It's got two planks in the platform. God's got a blessing coming your way, but oh, by the way, give me your money. And uh, so I want to know who's telling the truth. These mercenary prophets on TV who tell us that if you have a lot of stuff, you're obviously blessed by God. And Jesus, who said... It's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Uh, he, he didn't say it was impossible. But the more stuff you accumulate, you get this indigenous attitude that you think, I don't need anybody. I, I did this myself. Have you ever heard people talk about a self-made man or a self-made woman? It's a myth. There is no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made We are all the sum total of the people that we've interacted with in our lives. Things that you've learned that were right, things that you learned that weren't right, but, but, but we do that. And, and it, 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 it's just, why am I here to bring God pleasure? I don't care how much stuff you accumulate. That's not going to scratch where you itch. There's a God blank inside of every one of us, and only God's going to fill that void. Now you can pound a lot of things in that hole, but it's not gonna. It ain't gonna. It's not gonna do it, folks. It's just not. And and I, I, you know, Paul said, "For me to live is Christ." That's what he said. I remember my mom singing a song years ago. If anyone should ever write my life story, for whatever reason, there would be. He'd be there between each line of pain and glory because Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I remember going to school in Houston, and I, 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 James Cleveland, who wrote that song, I heard him sing it, and it just reminded me of my mom. And, and it's just, I, I remember reading a Western uh, some time ago where the the hero of the story asked his friend, what are you doing? And he said, 
I'm, he said, everybody writes a story. I'm just trying to write a good one. And, and, and you, you, you want to know what makes a good writer. Most of us walk by a thousand stories every day. But a good writer can pick out five or six of them things every day and see something amazing in what most other people just walk by. I, I, I was so disappointed recently because there was a man, his name is Digger, Digger Odell. What a, what a name. He lived in Sterling Heights. He died October 29th. I, I always wanted him to come here and speak because Digger was a pilot in the Vietnam War and he got shot down 1967. And he spent almost six years in what was known as the Hanoi Hilton, which was anything but a Hilton. Um, it was an abandoned hotel that was a prison. And, and these men suffered unex, unexplainable torture and horror. And he was in that thing for over five and a half years and was part of a great group of people who made a documentary simply entitled, We Came Back. And... Uh, what a story. What a, this is what Job said. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. What he was saying was, I, I wish my life's words and works could be written down. And if possible, I'd like them to be chiseled in stone. His, his name was Sparky. It was a nickname that was given to him by his uncle. And it stuck with him uh, for the rest of his life. And from his earliest memories, uh, he wanted to draw cartoons. And uh, he, he said later on, he said, I know this sounds crazy, but he said, I really believe I was born to be a cartoonist. And uh, when he was young... In the Depression, in the early 30s, uh, he worked in his father's barbershop. And while working in his dad's barbershop, he, he did a mail-order course on how to draw. And uh, he was pretty good at it. And uh, he ultimately got a job teaching at an art school. And while he was there, he made friends with a guy that would change his life because his friend's name was Charlie Brown. And uh, he had a red-haired girlfriend who broke his heart. She soon found her way into his cartoons. Back then, the, the highest, the best magazine you could get into was the Saturday Evening Post. And the Saturday Evening Post picked up his strip when it went from one uh, picture to four. And it became syndicated in papers across the country, and he simply called it Peanuts. And uh, as some of you have guessed by now, Sparky was Charles Schultz. And uh, most known for Charlie Brown, Lucy, Linus, Peppermint Patty, the red-haired girl that broke his heart, and, of course, Snoopy. And uh, in time, 2,500 newspapers in 75 countries carried peanuts every day. But in 1999, Schultz got cancer. And um, 
Peanuts was retired on January the 4th, 2000. If you ever would see it, Charlie Brown answers the phone and simply says, he, he, no, he's not here. I think he's writing. And, uh, but it was the last one that got my attention. It was Snoopy sitting on top of his dog box, pecking on the typewriter. And this is what it said. Dear friends, for 50 years, I have been fortunate to draw Charlie Brown and his friends. It has been the fulfillment of my childhood ambition. Unfortunately, I am no longer able to maintain my schedule to do this daily comic strip. My family does not wish for peanuts to be continued by anyone else. So I am announcing my retirement. And then he said this, why do musicians compose symphonies? And why do poets write poems? He said they do it because life wouldn't have any meaning for them if they didn't. And he said, that's why I drew Charlie Brown. It was my life. If you ever get a chance to go to Philadelphia, you, you, you want to go by that place where they had that early Constitution Congress. See that bell with the crack in it. If you get a chance, you go to Christ Church and go behind it and go to the cemetery. You will find the grave of Benjamin Franklin. Franklin wrote his own epitaph when he was 23 years old. And this is what it says. Benjamin Franklin, he said, this is B. Franklin Printer. Like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding. Ben Franklin lies here, food for worms. But the ark, but the work shall not be lost. For it will, as he believe, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition revised and corrected by its author. <laughs> in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, it says, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. My daddy is 93 years old. He is going into that dark place called dementia. Probably because he had a premonition of this two years ago, he gave me a green spiral ring binder that he went and bought and just spent days writing down all of his earliest memories. Gave it to me as a gift. He said, I, I, he said, I want to give this to you before the colors fade. <laughs> In Revelation chapter 20, and verse 12, this is what it says. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You know, there are three words in our vocabulary that wouldn't be there if there wasn't God. Omnipotent 
omnipresent, omniscient. And of course, respectively, they mean he has all power, that he exists in all places, and he knows everything. It says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. My mental image of that judgment was the Lord with this amazing memory just judging me and just reaching back at will and plucking various parts of my past for me to be judged on. But that's not what it says. It says we're going to be judged, and it said there's going to be a book opened. So this is not the Lord just indiscriminately plucking memories from his amazing ability to remember. Some, some being wrote this down, which I'm convinced somewhere is an angel, like an old-time scribe, that is writing every thought, every word, every action that I make. And when I think of that, it's like, whew, there are parts of that book I would like to be torn out. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of repentance. Wow. The Bible said some people's sins go before them and some people's sins follow them. You don't want it following you. <laughs> you want to get that stuff dealt with. And as crazy as this sounds, she, she's known as the Queen of Sheba, which is modern-day Yemen. But in Matthew 27, it says, The Queen of the South shall rise in judgment against this generation because she journeyed to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and a greater than Solomon is here. Which tells me that when I'm in judgment, this door's going to open, and this lady's going to come in this room that I, I've never met this woman before. But you see, this woman traveled 800 miles, not in a Learjet, not in a limousine, but on some, some beast of burden, which was an arduous journey to go 800 miles on a horse or a mule or whatever it was. And all it was was to get the answer to a riddle that this woman went 800 miles. And I know people that can't walk across the street to go to church. And she's going to appear in judgment and say, hey, why didn't you go? Look, look what I did just to get the answer to a riddle. And I had access to Solomon. You had access to Jesus Christ, who didn't just have the answer to a riddle, but had life. Why couldn't you exploit that and take advantage of that moment? I, I, I have a good friend. His name is David. He's an architect. He's an older man. Great guy. Just great guy. Devout Catholic man. And, and he, he, he gets coats for the kids every winter. And Pickett's the abortion clinic down the road here on Planned Parenthood on 17, opens up his home. But, but when he would come to my house, he said, Harold, all I've ever known was the Pope and the saints. He said, but when I come to your house, all I know is the Bible and Jesus. And he said, I didn't know much about either. And, and, and it was like just, just this, this desire, this hunger. It's like Ladies and did you know what this this is a scripture in the book of Hebrews? It said, Live your life in such a way that your pastor can give an account of you with joy. 
that, 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 that is it possible that I'm going to play a role in your judgment? Would you make it easy on me? Would you, would you do that so that I can look at the Lord and say, this was a faithful man. This was a faithful woman. These were, these were great people. They were givers and forgivers. Don't, I don't, I don't want to hang my head and have to lie in front of the Lord. You know, it's like doing funerals for people that live the lousy life. And all you can say is uh, they work for General Motors and uh, they lived here and they had a wife and two kids. And uh, amen, let's, let's go to the graves. Like, what are you going to do? You know, it's just the, the years ago, there was a guy named Joe. Joe desperately wanted to be president, but he knew America was not ready for an Irish Catholic president. And he had an extended family, and he had a lot of boys. And he dedicated his life to seeing that those boys, one of those boys would be president. And he taught him, he ingrained it in him when they were kids. If you're going to be president, probably the best way is to join the military and distance yourself from all the others by doing some type of heroic act. And, 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 and his oldest boy, Joe Jr., took daddy's instruction to heart and and they all were convinced Joe was going to be president, but Joe flew what was probably our, our earliest drone in Europe, a, a B-52 full of explosives, and he was supposed to bail out, but something happened, and, and it exploded prematurely, and there, there was nothing left of Joe Jr., but John, 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 John became president. What you have to understand is, is while all this is going on, Joe finds out prohibition is going to be lifted. And, and he's Irish, and he gets all this whiskey from Ireland, and he puts it in a barge outside of the limits of Boston. And when Prohibition was lifted, the only guy with whiskey in town was Joe. And it's the basis of a fortune that exists till this day. And, 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 and he desperately wanted one of his boys to be president, and Joe Jr. died in Europe. John became president. But he was shot in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, and, and Robert would have been president, but he was shot in the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, and Teddy would have been president, except for a skinny little stream in New England called Chappaquiddick, and a woman that's been forgotten named Mary Jo Capecti. It's all See, what Joe Kennedy didn't understand is when he died, it wasn't over. You were putting something in motion with your children and your grandchildren. The Bible said one generation shall declare his praise to another. And in Hebrew, it literally means that we can worship God in this life so loud that our unborn kids would hear it. Do you realize you can impact your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? You read the book of Hebrews. Abraham paid tithes to a priest named Melchizedek. And, and, and if you know your Bible, Abraham is first generation, Isaac is second, Jacob is third, Levi is fourth generation. But when you read the book of Hebrews, it said Levi, who receiveth tithes, because that was the Old Testament ministry staff, Levi, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes while he was in the loins of his great-grandfather when Melchizedek met him, which meant when, when, Mel, when Levi got ready to do his tithing for the first time, it it's as if the Lord said, I appreciate you doing that again. And him saying, no, no, no. This is the first time I ever filled out a white envelope and put it in the dish. And he said, no, 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 no. You, you paid tithes three generations ago. Your great grandfather gave something. And the Bible said Levi was affected by his great grandfather's giving. Wow. 
<laughs> it's amazing. You, you know the Ten Commandments, but what a lot of people don't understand is when you begin the Ten Commandments in, in Exodus 20, it says the iniquity of the father, not the mother, the iniquity of the father. Is, it goes to the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me and the same of them that love me. What it, it's, I'm not talking about a generational curse here. I never did believe in that kind of stuff. But what I am saying is you can live in such a way that it impacts your kids. Wow! Holy smokes! Do you, look, 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 look at look at Joseph. He's got he's got eleven brothers, but 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 the only the only dad that those boys knew was was a his his name his name Jacob means liar deceiver. He was a crook. Everything he did was a crook. And, 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 and yet, there's something powerful there because Jacob heard that his brother was coming to kill him. So when you find out you're fixing to die, everybody gets spiritual. So he got down to start to pray and he met with an angel. And the angel said, what's your name? Now, now listen, folks, I don't think an angel is so stupid that the angel didn't know who he was wrestling with. He's not asking Jacob to, 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 to provide his name so that he'll be able to know who his sparring partner is. There's something deeper here. The name Jacob means deceiver, liar. So when he's saying, what's your name? He said, I'm not an honest man. And he said, there you go. When you're willing to admit who you are and who you aren't, he said, now I'm going to change you and you're going to be Israel and you're going to have power with God and influence with men. It's a powerful thing because right after that, the, uh, Joseph is born. And Joseph has these dreams of, 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 of sheaves of wheat bowing down to him and planets revolving around him. And uh, why didn't any of the other ten have those kind of dreams? Because the only dad those boys knew was a cheat and a crook and a liar. I'm convinced the reason that Joseph had the spiritual dreams that he had was because he had a dad that walked like this because the Bible said he had a limp for the rest of his life and he didn't get that in the war. He got it in a prayer meeting. Listen to me. Listen. America is weak because America has weak churches. Churches are weak because they have weak families. Families are weak because they have weak or non-existent dads. If we can fix the dad dilemma, we can fix the family, we can fix the church, we might even be able to fix the old U.S. of A. It's dedication today, but I'm reaching for the daddies. We gotta have some dads that'll say, I'm the priest of my house. You gotta do more than teach this boy how to drive a stick shift. You gotta do more than teach him how to hit a ball over deep center field or shoot a 30-30 to hit a deer 150 yards away. When was the last time your boy saw you around an altar? When was the last time your boy saw you with your hands up? When was the last time they saw you with tears? When was the last time they heard you pray an intercessory prayer? <laughs> I don't know what the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia is, but I, whatever it is, my dad's got one of them. And my mother had a stroke three weeks ago. And Renee took mother to the hospital, and I stayed with my dad. And I, a dozen times in an hour, he said, where's your mother? And I said, she went to the hospital, Daddy. 
Oh, okay. Five minutes later, where's your mom at? Um, she's at the hospital, Danny. Five minutes later, why don't you just go home? Your mom will be back soon. And I said, nah, Daddy, Mom ain't coming home tonight. She's, she's at the hospital. Why? She's got something wrong with her heart, Daddy. Oh, oh, oh. It was like a broken record. I fed him something, tucked him in bed, cut some apples for him to eat. I left his bedroom door open. <laughs> I wish I would have taped it. Then I heard my dad begin to pray. Oh, God, you gave me this girl years ago. I'm asking you, Lord, to give her back to me. I can't live without her, Lord. Take me before you take her. And for an hour, I heard my dad pray an intercessory prayer. It was like he was 30. It's like God plugged him in. There was not one repetitious phrase. It was just like for an hour, this stuff just flowed out of him. And I'll tell you why. Because that wasn't an isolated incident from three weeks ago. It's been the way he's lived to be able to pray and intercede. <laughs> and what he's doing right now, he's never lived that way. But a life of prayer, he's done for over, I don't what, 70 years or more. And it's just, it's like that needle just dropped back into that groove. And all of a sudden, there he was in the presence of God again. And I'm going, that's, that's, that's my legacy. I, I've never seen my dad curse. I've never seen my dad drunk. I've never seen him smite, strike my mom. All I've ever known was a dad that prayed, a dad that served God. I'm begging you today to leave that kind of legacy with your children. Let's stand. Let's thank the Lord together. Oh God. Oh God. Because it's just live your life in such a... See, these kids were about to dedicate. They're going to start writing. They're already starting to write their own story. We've got to help them write a good one. And so I want these families to come. I want you to come. Amen. 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 Blasik, Josh Blasik, Aaron and Rachel are bringing Asher. Amen. Alexis McDonald with Alexa, Josie and Adam with Clara. I'd like you to come here before me. And because of this crazy mass thing, I'm going to stay just a little distant from you because I want to pray over you. And I don't want to spit on you. And because anointing is spit and speed a lot of times, you know. But we've got ministers that are going to be here and going to anoint these children right now. So I want to thank. Just come right here and come right here. Oh, whatever you want to spend, I understand. Just come, come right down here. If, if parents are here, please come. If grandparents are here, please come. Great-grandparents, if you're here, please come. Amen. Amen. I want, you, I want us all to stand. This is important right now. See, here, here's the problem. In nominal Christianity, there's something called a christening, where you bring your little baby to church and, and they christen them. It's kind of like putting a seal of good housekeeping on the kid. Now, you can live any way you want to because you gave this child to God. We are not here to dedicate children. We are here to dedicate us to God for these children. That's really what a dedication day is. Okay? Amen. So close your eyes and pray with me. Lord Jesus, I, I pray for this dad and this mom. 
I'm asking you to give them wisdom beyond their years. I, I wish I could tell them there's never gonna be a bump in the road. I, I wish I could tell them there's never gonna be a time when there's more month than money. I, I wish I could tell them that there are not gonna be any heartbreaks in tomorrow, but I would be, I, I, I'm trying to make my living telling the truth, Lord, and I'd be a lying preacher if I tried to tell them that, that, that there aren't gonna be some disappointing days ahead. But I'm reaching for the dads right now, Lord. And I'm asking you, God, to give us godly daddies. I'm asking you, Lord, to help these men understand the gravity of what's really going on here right now. For these precious moms that are here, Lord, I'm asking you, Jesus, that you would, that you would grace them and that you would bless them. The, the, the fatigue factor, the, 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 the loss of sleep that they are asked to endure, the, the sacrificial lifestyle of a mom is, is, is famous and, and the stories are myriad, Lord, about a sacrificing mom. I, I'm asking you, Lord, I don't want these children to ever have to hear the words irreconcilable differences. I don't want these children to, to, to ever have have to decide are they going to live with mommy or daddy I don't want these children to end up one day in a divorce court wearing the very same clothes that were purchased in order that they'd look good at Sunday school I'm asking you God today to put a bond between this husband and this wife Lord that time nor circumstance would ever erode and decay oh Jesus I was told the children bring us closer and I realized the lie of that very soon because there are added pressures of time and effort and finance. I realize children are a sacrifice and I'm asking you Lord that this child would not be a strain to the point of breakage with this home but there would be an understood sacrifice between the mom and the dad. Oh Jesus. I pray for grandparents that they would be just exactly that. That it would be more than a title. That would that, that that, that they would be grand. And, and if these children are so blessed to have great grandparents, let them honor and deserve those titles of being great and being grand. For we are taught, Lord, that grandparents have more influence on children than parents do if they have regular access to the child. So I'm asking you, Lord, for grandparents, for aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews, for friends. I'm asking you, Lord, this pastor, this pastor, dear Jesus, I'd rather you take me. I'd rather die than you see something in my future, Lord, that would cause any one of these children to ever doubt you and have to ask the horrible question, whatever happened to Pastor Huffman? Why doesn't, why isn't he married to Sister Huffman anymore? Whatever happened to Ashley's daddy? I don't want them to ever have to ask that question. As church, Lord, we are dedicating ourselves to you for these children right now. I want these children to be raised in a church of faith. I want them to be raised in a church of power. I want them to be raised in a church that prays. I'm asking you, God, let these people regularly grow up to see people baptized, filled with your spirit. Let that not be something unusual, but let it be normal for them to see the miraculous, for them to see things that nobody else can explain, that everybody has to stand back and agree. Only God could have done
together, shall we? Amen. That these little babies would hear, would hear. Don't just clap your hands. Clap and use your mouth. Amen. Clap your hands, all your people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Amen. We're not in a golf tournament here. This isn't just a polite applause for a political figure. But literally our hands and our mouth, we're lifting him up with our body. We're lifting him up with our thought. We're lifting him up with our words. Oh, Jesus. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I remember filling out a credit card statement one time and they asked me what does your wife do and I said oh she she's mom she takes care of the children and the woman said oh she's a non-working mother and I said lady that's an oxymoron there is no such thing as a non-working mother they're all working hard they're all working hard all of you precious people that have chosen to come here today and to give your blessing to these children. This is just a great way to end. It's a great way to end. Won't you come up here, give your blessing to these people. Amen. If you're not comfortable hugging, I get all that, but at least say something to them. And say words, say something good over them. Bless their family, their marriage.